الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على عبد الله ورسوله نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين So this is a very strange uh, kids class for me because there is nobody here at all except the one person who is operating the live stream. So it's not like the usual class where we have plenty of kids and we can ask people questions. Um, but obviously because of the situation in the UK right now with the lockdown, this is the best that we can do at the moment. So we've been talking about the battles that the Prophet ﷺ took part in. Now before I talk about those battles, I just wanted to run through and see if we had covered all of the events up to then. Because even though I've been talking about the battles in the seerah, I stopped kind of talking about the life of the Prophet ﷺ outside of those outside of those battles, right? So, we spoke about in the beginning in Medina, this is before Badr, how the prayer became four raka'at uh, instead of two. So how the prayers came to the, the way they are now with Dhuhr and Asr and Isha. That was in the early time when the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam came to Medina. In terms of the marriage of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he started to live together with Aisha in the first year. And we mentioned the Adhan already. We mentioned the start of the battles and we had mentioned the battle of Badr and before that, the fasting in Ramadan was legislated. In what month did the Muslims get, or did the Prophet ﷺ inform the Muslims that they would start fasting? We know they fast Ramadan. You think in Ramadan. I've only got one person to talk to, by the way, so these answers might be a bit... Two, okay, two people to talk to, all right. So... Uh, actually, it was in Sha'ban. It was in Sha'ban, the month before, the month before Ramadan. And then we spoke about uh, the, the Battle of Badr that took place on the 17th of Ramadan. And Zakat became obligatory for the Muslims. What's, how would you explain Zakat to someone if someone asked you what's Zakat? Giving money to poor people. So it's money you have to give. It's not optional. And you have to give it from the extra money that Allah gives you. And it's not a very big amount. It's quite a small amount. And you give it to poor people. That's excellent. We didn't mention that 
Al-Abbas ibn Abdul Muttalib. I'm just going through my notes to see if there's anything that I missed out. We didn't mention the uncle of the Prophet Al-Abbas. He became Muslim between the Battle of Badr and the Battle of Uhud. Just to uh, give you an idea about that. We mentioned that Ruqayya passed away after the Battle of Badr. The Prophet ﷺ, around the time that Uthman, we mentioned that Uthman married, who did Uthman marry after Ruqayya? Who did Uthman marry after Ruqayya? The, the other sister, no, we need a name, radiallahu anha. What was her name? Hafsa is the wife of the Prophet Sallallahu Kulthum At the same time The Prophet Sallallahu got married Who did the Prophet Sallallahu get married to At the time That Uthman got married to Um Kulthum There's a story about this And the story is That Abu Bakr, uh, the story is, let me get this the right way around, that Umar came to Abu Bakr. Umar. So who's the daughter of Abu Bakr, by the way? Aisha radiallahu anha. She's the wife of the Prophet She was married to him in which city? In Makkah, but she start, they started to live together when he was in Medina Umar has a daughter What's her name? Hafsa Hafsa radiallahu anha And Hafsa uh, Umar wanted her to get married She had been married before uh, But Umar was looking for uh, She was looking to any, Get married again and Umar went to Abu Bakr and he said to Abu Bakr, are you interested in marrying Hafsa? Do we have an appointment with the camera? Is, is your ecam Wi-Fi off? Just take a minute to get it right. I'd rather you take a minute to get the cameras right than people to struggle at home and they can't see it. No, it's okay. about right okay 
We don't have comments on this class because it's a kids' class. We're not allowed to have comments. So we're not allowed to even know if it's fine or not. So we were saying that Umar came to Abu Bakr and said, would you like to marry Hafsa? And what did Abu Bakr say? What did Abu Bakr say? Abu Bakr said, I'm not uh, looking to get married at this moment. And again, I'm not looking to get married. And so, who do you think Umar went to after that? Who, whose wife had just passed away and was looking to... Uthman. And he said to Uthman, No, your, your wife passed away. Why don't you marry Hafsa? And Uthman said, What did Uthman say? No. So Umar became upset. Why does no one want to marry my daughter? Why does nobody want to marry Hafsa for? And the Prophet said a famous statement. He said, Hafsa will marry someone better than Uthman and Uthman will marry someone better than Hafsa. Who did Uthman marry? Umm Kulthum. The daughter of the Prophet Okay But here we have a question Hafsa will marry someone better than Uthman Without answering the question Who is better than Uthman Umar is better than Uthman But that's Hafsa's father Abu Bakr is better than Uthman But he had said no So who is left who is better than Uthman Only the Prophet And that's what happened and Abu Bakr later apologized and he informed that he knew that the Prophet wanted to marry. What's the matter? Yeah, obviously. <laughs> I know that. Why is it not working? Qaddalallahu wa mashafa'an. Let me see. I'm going to put it on my... What's the matter? No, on mine it's okay. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> I know that. Why is it not working? One second, everyone, while we try and fix it. I'm, it's a very strange experience. I'm actually watching myself. I think just carry on, Abdurrahman, just leave it. I think do the best you can. It seems all right to me. Just, uh, just leave it, Habibi, leave it. Allah. There's no point. If it's, if it's just glitching every now and again, it's okay. People will have sabr with it, inshallah. Not on Yeah, sometimes, no, sometimes it happens. If it's just been, <laughs> the camera's not working. Huh? No, no, it's nothing changed. The cable is the best thing you, you use. Don't, don't use the Wi Fi.
I know, I'm just waiting to see. No, no, I'm, I'm not seeing a problem on, from what I can, from my stream. So it might just be affecting some of the users. That's the problem. It, that's what I'm saying. It might, it might not, the problem that there is with the stream might not be affecting everybody. It might just be affecting one. The problem is we don't have any way to see other people. We don't have any comments. It might be the new account that we put on here. Okay, inshallah, we're going to continue. Uh, if there are gl glitches in your video stream, which you're watching right now, I apologize for that. But we don't seem to be able to fix it. So I'm not entirely sure what, whether it's just affecting some people or whether it's affecting everybody. But if it is affecting you, then... Uh, I apologize for that. Inshallah, we will try to find out what is the problem and to fix it by next time, inshallah. So we were talking about the Prophet ﷺ. He got married then too. He got married to Zainab radiallahu anha. Why was the Prophet ﷺ then had, why did he have a special rule for him? Why did he marry more than normal? I mean, first of all, the prophets, alayhim wassalam, sometimes have things that are unique to them, right? Could you tell me something that was only for the prophet, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, apart from this, what we talked about, marriage? Could you think of something else that was just for the prophet, sallallahu alayhi wasallam? Maybe you could, sorry? Yeah, miracle. Okay, miracles. But I'm talking about like a ruling in Islam that was only for the Prophet So there were, there were in Islam rulings that were only for the Prophet Okay. So there were some rulings that were only for the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and one of the rulings that was only for the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is that he did not have that same limit on marriage that other Muslims had. And why do you think that was? What was the benefit of it? Why is it good for the Prophet Sallallahu to be able to marry more people, more women than, more wives than normal? Why? More people to be related to him. Okay, very good. I like the answer. That's a good answer. See, the Prophet ﷺ was someone unique, right? He wasn't the same as everybody else. So first of all, the harms that were there for other people were not there for him. The harms that you will not be able to treat them fairly, you will not be able to give them time, you will not be, you know, strong enough and whatever. That was the Prophet ﷺ didn't have that. So that's the first thing. The second thing is it brought the people together. Look at how close he was to Abu Bakr. He married Aisha. How close he was to Umar. He married Hafsa. Uthman was married to his daughter. And it brought all the tribes and the people from the different... It brought, it brought them together. Yeah? 
and the, the, the wives of the Prophet they played a very important role. What did they transmit to us that no one else transmitted to us? What did they teach us that no one else taught us? The thing behind closed doors. What was the Prophet like behind closed doors? And no doubt the most knowledgeable of the wives of the Prophet was Aisha radiallahu anha. But from the wives who also transmitted lots of reports and information and verdicts and knowledge was Umm Salama. And the Prophet وسلم, when he married Umm Salama, and it's an amazing story, the story of when the Prophet married Umm Salama, is that Abu Salama had, she was married, Umm Salama, she had been married to a man called Abu Salama, and he was a very, very good man, and he treated her very well. And when he died, she felt like I will never be able to find someone as good as him. And then the Prophet wasallam, she had learned from him a dua. Uh, she had learned from him a dua. Allahumma ajurni fi musibati, akhluf li khayran. Minha. Oh Allah, give me reward for my trouble that I'm suffering and give me something better. And she said, Who can be better than Abu Salama? And then she married the Prophet after he had died, she married the Prophet. Let's see where are we up to Because I'm just seeing if I had Covered everything So after the battle of Uhud Which is where we were up to The, 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 the expelling of Banu Nadir I mentioned And Marrying Umm Salama uh, And we mentioned uh, Zainab binti Jahsh Radiallahu anha And the ayat of the hijab were revealed after that. Between the battle of Uhud and the battle of uh, Al-Ahzab, or around that time, the ayat of the hijab, the ayat of the hijab were revealed. Just after, sorry, just after the Battle of Ahzab was the ayat of the hijab revealed. So we were going to speak about the Battle of Al-Ahzab. That was where we reached up to. And the reason I just went through those things is they were just things I didn't mention as we were going through the battles. So now we're going to talk about the Battle of Al-Ahzab. So right now, who has been expelled from Medina? How many tribes? Two. They are Banu, Qaynuqa'a, and Banu Nadir. And Banu Nadir had settled. Where did they settle? At Khaybar. And at Khaybar, they began to hatch a plan and a plot. 
And their plan and their plot was to bring all of the tribes of Arabia against the Prophet ﷺ. To bring all of the tribes of Arabia against the Prophet ﷺ. And they gathered major tribes. They gathered the agreement of Quraysh in the south, in Mecca, and they gathered Ghatfan. And Ghatfan, they were a tribe in the east. And they were a huge tribe that were enemies of the Prophet ﷺ. So the Prophet ﷺ, they had, they wanted to fight, but they didn't want to fight by themselves. They, they were too scared. They couldn't manage it. And Quraysh, after Uhud, were also not in the mood for fighting. But the Jews of Banu Nadir, the second tribe, they managed to convince Quraysh that Ghatfan would support them and convince Ghatfan that Quraysh would support them. And they came with an army of 10,000 men all coming together simultaneously. And not separately, everyone just come together, one big fight. And they were very well armed. So obviously the news of this reached the Prophet ﷺ. Some things reached the Prophet ﷺ through revelation. Other things reached him because he also had people bringing news back from the different places of what was happening. And you can't hide such a large army. And so when the Prophet ﷺ, he knew what was going to happen, he needed a plan. No doubt Allah will save him. Allah will save the Muslims. But that wasn't the way the Prophet ﷺ used to be. Do you, see? Do you see what I mean? He wasn't that sort of person who was that, you know, or just leave it and we'll sit here and if Allah wants to save us, he will save us. Instead, he set about doing something. If you've done your best, then put your trust in Allah. So the Muslims did not have experience of dealing with such a big army of that size, all attacking at once from every direction. And so the Prophet ﷺ consulted the Sahaba, and that was his way. Consult them in what happens. Ask them, what shall we do? And there was a, a noble companion who has an amazing story. His life story is amazing, but we don't have time for it until we do the companion stories. And that was... Salman al-Farisi Story is amazing what happened to him Salman al-Farisi radiallahu an He had an advice He was from Persia Do you know what Persia is? What, what country now is more or less Persia? Iran, right? That's that sort of area Not just, I mean countries now are not exactly the same But broadly speaking The country that is now Iran, that is the, the country 
of that was called in that time Persia and a, a little bit more than that or you know different areas and things but generally speaking he said in Persia when a huge enemy and remember Persia had a huge empire Persia had a massive empire and they were one of the big powers at that time Salman al-Farisi he said when we had a huge enemy attack us in Persia we used to dig a trench now Medina is naturally protected it has mountains around it and it has al-harra which is the volcanic rock the hard rocks that the, the horses and the camels can't cross so it's only the north which the enemies could come from the prophet found a narrow place and he commanded them to dig a trench and it was very long the trench was not was not a small trench and it was extremely extremely difficult for them it was extremely cold and digging a trench is not easy these are hard rocks they were extremely hungry there was no food to the point that they were just finding little bits of food here and there and some of them tied stones to their tummy to their stomach so that because of the pain from the hunger they were so hungry and you imagine that they were digging a huge trench no jcv no digger no you know machinery by hand in very hard rock The Prophet ﷺ himself had tied two pieces of stone to his stomach from his hunger. And there were many miracles that happened in the Battle of the Trench. One of them was before the battle itself that Jabir ibn Abdullah came to the Prophet ﷺ. He had just one you, like a yeah like a like a female like maybe a, a goat or a um, something like that it was not really suitable for slaughtering but out of when he saw what the what the prophet was suffering from extreme hunger he found a little bit of barley and he he slaughtered the animal the own the animal that they kept for you know they, it wasn't really for slaughtering they kept for milk or whatever they they slaughtered it he quietly told the Prophet ﷺ, just come and eat. And the Prophet ﷺ, he said, invite just a few people because we cannot, you know, like it's just a small animal and it doesn't have meat on it. And it's just a little bit of barley, maybe just a few people you can bring. And the Prophet ﷺ brought 1,000 people. And he said to Jabir, that don't let anyone lift the lid of the pot until I come. And he brought 1,000 people. They entered group by group, any 10 by 10. The Prophet lifted the lid from the pot and they ate. 
and then another came and they ate and they came and 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 ate. They said until everyone had eaten. Then the Prophet ﷺ, when Jabir he said at the end when we lifted the lid, the, he said, I don't know if there was more food inside at that time or before. And the, it was completely full. And that was a miracle of the Prophet ﷺ. Likewise, some of the Sahaba brought dates to the Prophet ﷺ. It was just a small amount. And the Prophet ﷺ put them on a cloth and they became so much that the, all of them, the men ate. And from the miracles was that the Prophet ﷺ had a huge stone. Nobody could break it. Nobody could lift it. Okay, ten people, ten men couldn't move it. And the Prophet ﷺ just touched it with his stick and it broke into, into dust. And here the Prophet ﷺ, when he broke a rock apart, he saw something. He struck the rock three times. In the first time, he saw that the Muslims would conquer Sham. Imagine this, this little group of Muslims in Medina. Thousand men are digging this trench against the army of 10,000. And the Prophet sees that the Muslims are going to conquer all of Sham. That is what is now Syria, Jordan, Palestine, Lebanon. The Muslims are going to conquer that whole area. Then the Prophet struck the rock again. And he saw that he would conquer Persia. Now remember that Persia was the major superpower of that time. Like if you think about how, who is a superpower in the world today? Like America, China, these countries, like huge armies. This is how Persia was like in those times. Huge armies, huge amount of men that the Muslims were going to conquer it. And then the Prophet ﷺ struck the rock and he saw that they were going to conquer Yemen. So the Prophet ﷺ knew that the whole land, all the Middle Eastern region, would be conquered by the Muslims within a short time and that is what happened. Quraysh came after the trench was dug with 4,000 men, 300 horses, 1,000 camels. Ghatfan came with 6,000 men. And at this time, the Muslims were terrified. Allah Azza wa Jal, He said, He said, your eyes, you were dizzy. Your eyes became dizzy. And your hearts became in your throat from how scared you were when you saw the Ahzab. And Allah said, that Muslims were tested a severe test and they were shaken 
But Allah Azza wa Jal made them strong. When the Muslims saw these huge armies, they said, this is what Allah promised us. This is what the Rasul promised us. And Allah and the Rasul told the truth. And they increased in iman and submission to Allah. But here there was a problem. Because who is going to make trouble in Medina? Still the hypocrites are making trouble in Medina. Still the Jewish tribes are making trouble in Medina. The hypocrites, they said, مَا وَعَدَنَ اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُهُ إِلَّا غُرُورًا They said, this is a false promise. You promised us victory. You promised us Persia. You promised us Syria. You promised us Yemen. And look at what we've got. We're going to be killed here in a ditch. The women and the children of Medina were sent to the forts. I keep them safe. And you can't leave the women and the children just in the normal places. You have to move them into the safe, into the, into the forts, the safe areas. And the Prophet ﷺ went with 3,000 men. Who was leading the non-Muslims? Who else? Abu Sufyan again, radiallahu anhu, he became Muslim after that. Abu Sufyan again, he hadn't learned, radiallahu anhu, arda. He didn't learn at that time he was not a Muslim. And he became extremely worried by the trench. Because remember, the Arabs had never seen trench warfare. I don't know if you guys, you kids have studied in the history, the trenches in World War I and all that, you know, fighting in the trenches and how that... The trench warfare is something like totally different. It's not normal, yeah? Like it's fighting in ditches and... And so the Arabs had not known trench warfare. And Abu Sufyan was very shocked by it. And they kept on trying... To get across, but who did the Muslims have on the other side of the trench? Archers, no, no, archers, archers, archers firing arrows, and they couldn't get across. So, what are Quraysh going to decide to do? They decided to lay siege to Medina. This is the normal way in war, right? If you can't attack your enemy, you're not getting anywhere, surround them. Stop them from going anywhere and wear them down. Just keep attacking them every single day after day after day. Just keep attacking them. Quraysh did get over the trench once, but only a very small number, and they were killed. Ten of Quraysh and six of the Muslims were killed. Now at this point, it's very important to notice something because this is going to come in the story later on that Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh, one of the leaders, the chiefs of the people of Medina, he was hit by an arrow in his neck. And he asked Allah to keep him alive and he stayed alive for a while. And in the middle of the battle of the trench, 
Banu Quraydah based on Banu Nadir still going and you know Banu Nadir who in Khaybar they were still there trying to move the you know move the battle forward and Banu Quraydah was the area where the Muslims had their women and children and they broke their promise They broke their promise. So now Banu Quraidah have broken their promise and the Muslim women and children are in danger. And the hypocrites turn back. So now what is going to happen? Who do you think defeated this army of 10,000 people? No doubt it came from Allah. But how do you think this army was defeated? What if I told you that it was just one person who changed this situation around by the permission of Allah? No, no, they didn't try to... They didn't try to assassinate the chief or the tribe leader. Not, it was much more subtle than that. A man called Nu'aym ibn Mas'ud, al-Ashja'i, came to the Prophet and he accepted Islam. And he was from the people who had a high position with Ghatfan. With Ghatfan the tribe who came from the east. So what did he convince them to do? No, no, he didn't convince them to go away. He convinced them. He started with Bani Quraida, not to become Muslim. He convinced Bani Quraida that what? He convinced Bani Quraida that Quraysh were going to betray them. He said, Quraysh and Ghatfan are going to go home and leave you here. You're all happy now that you betrayed the Muslims, but they're going to leave you here. And in the end of the day, the Muslims are going to come for you. You betrayed your trust. So Banu Quraydah started getting, oh, wow, you know, these guys are going to betray us now after we were the ones who won them the battle because Banu Quraydah thought that they had won the battle for Quraysh. Because they turned their backs on the Muslims at the last minute. They made the Muslims terrified. They made the Muslim women and children in danger. So they thought that they were going to betray them. Then who do you think he went to? He went to Quraysh. And he said, you know Bani Quraydah, they're going to go back to Muhammad. So I said... They're feeling sorry for themselves and they realize they're going to get attacked. So they're feeling like they don't want to take part in this war. Just be careful because they might try and turn their backs on you as well. And then he went to, who did he go to? He went to Ghatfan. And he made them doubt Quraysh. And all of these three started to doubt each other. 
But you need evidence now. You need evidence. So Abu Sufyan sent a message to Bani Quraida. He said, tomorrow we're going to attack. Bani Quraida sent a message back. They said, it's a Saturday and we're Jewish. We don't fight on a Saturday. So what happened? Abu Sufyan said he was right. These, these guys are playing a trick. They're planning on going back. And Abu Sufyan said, then you have to send hostages from your side. Then you have, to, you have to show us you're true. You're not just lying. Send us some people that we can keep them prisoner. Then they said, see, Quraysh is going to betray us. And all of them got the idea that each one was going to betray the other. And the Prophet ﷺ was making dua to Allah. And Allah sent down a storm against them and all of their tents were destroyed and the freezing cold made them scared and Allah put into their heart fear of each other so this huge army this huge army started to have big doubts the storm ruined their situation the angels came against them they got suspicious of each other and the freezing cold. They started to say, what are we doing? What are we even doing here? And the Prophet ﷺ sent a spy, Hudayfa radiallahu anh, deep inside the enemy camp. And when Hudayfa went, he came back and he said, they are all going back. They're going to retreat. And when the Muslims woke the next day, the army had gone. Who destroyed the army? Allah Azza wa Allah destroyed them with a wind, with a storm, with the cold, and with the plan of that man who set each one of them against the other so they started to doubt each other. And each one of them said, if we fight, the others are not going to fight with us. And they started to be suspicious of each other. And Quraysh already didn't get on with Ghatfan in the first place. And the tribe of Ghatfan didn't get on with Quraysh. So their arguments were all made between them. But now the Prophet has to deal with the enemy where? Which where is the enemy now? Ah, the enemy is inside Medina. Bani Quraiva. Bani Quraiva have betrayed the Prophet. They put the Muslim men and women and children at risk. And they helped the enemies of the Muslims against them. The Muslims surrounded them and laid siege to them. And they captured them after a number of days, a large number of days, about 20 something days, they captured them. But Bani Quraidah, they wanted someone to help them out. They wanted to apologize and to have someone help them out. So who did they turn to? Who did we say before got struck by an arrow in his neck? Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh. And they said to Sa'ad, the old Sa'ad,
They said, Sa'ad, treat us kindly. You know, Sa'ad, help us out. We helped you out before. We were your friends. Sa'ad, we used to be friends. Help us out. And they were very confident. They became more confident because they said, he's our friend. So he's definitely going to go easy on us. Maybe he'll send us to Khaybar or something with Banu Nadir. Sa'ad, he gave his judgment. The Prophet said, whatever you say, Sa'ad, I will agree with you. Your choice. What you say, I will do. You want to expel them, expel them. Whatever you want to do, I will follow. Sa'ad said, all of the men who betrayed us and fought against us, they have to be killed. And the women and the children have to be taken prisoner and enslaved. And the Prophet said, you have given the judgment that Allah gave above the seven heavens. And that's what happened to Bani Quraiba. They had the worst fate of all of the three tribes because their betrayal was the biggest. They had promised they would defend the Muslims. They had promised to live in safety in Medina. The Prophet ﷺ had looked after them and taken care of them. And when they betrayed, they committed treason. So the Prophet ﷺ ordered them on the ruling of Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh. He ordered them for the men to be killed and for the women and children to be taken prisoner and enslaved. And then Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh, radiallahu an, he died. At this point, there were other battles to take place. Yes, what was the question? Who? Yes, the Prophet said to him, Al Harbu Khada'a, or Kama Khal He said in some of the narrations. In some of the narrations, it said that it was, it's an ether from some of the Sahaba, that war is deception. You're allowed to make a deception in war. So yeah, that was allowed. So the next thing that happened was going to put huge pressure on Quraysh. And in fact, the end of the Battle of Ahzab was a big change for the Muslims. No more was Quraysh going to come to Medina. That's it. Now the Muslims are going to Quraysh. Quraysh brought their best and failed. So now the Muslims are in control and they have the strength and they have the upper hand and now the Muslims are going for Quraysh. To start this problem, it came again from someone becoming Muslim. And the next part of the story came again from someone becoming Muslim. And that person was Thumama radiallahu an. And he was the chief of Yamama. Yamama, he was the chief of Yamama. And he tried to kill the Prophet ﷺ, but he was captured. And he was tied up in the masjid. He was tied in the masjid, like a prisoner. Every day the Prophet ﷺ would say to him, 
what do you think will happen to you, Thumama? He said, Khairan, I said, I expect you to do good. If you kill me, we'll get revenge. And if you let me go, you'll find me to be grateful. And if you want property, just name your price. What do you think the Prophet took? He left him another day. He came back to him. He said, what do you think is going to happen to you, Thumama? He said, I think good. If you kill me, we will take revenge. And if you let me go, I'll be grateful. And if you want money or property, name your price. The Prophet left him again. The next day he came to him, he said, what do you think is going to happen to you, Thumama? The Prophet ordered him to be released and Thumama went and he took a bath and he came back and he said, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But Thumama was very important to the next part of the story. Because Thumama said to Quraysh, by Allah, not a single grain of wheat is going to come into your city from now on. Because Thumama controlled all of the wheat that was coming from, the, from Yamama to Makkah, to Quraysh. He said, you're not getting anything now. And that put extreme pressure on Quraysh until the Prophet allowed him to trade with them again. So now Quraysh are on the back foot. They've got pressure from all different sides. They've got pressure from all different sides. And there was another battle that took place, and this battle was actually not a very important battle, but a very important story happened after it. And this was the battle of Bani or Banu Mustaliq. This actually wasn't a very important battle. It only lasted two days. But the Prophet وسلم, he married after it, there was a lady, she was captured, her name was Juwayriya. She was captured and she accepted Islam and when she accepted Islam, the Prophet وسلم, married her. So what do you think to all the other prisoners who were captured, what happened to them? They all got set free. Because they said, we can't keep the relatives of the Prophet ﷺ as our prisoners. Do you see what he said about the marriages? How the marriages made such a benefit to all the Muslims? That they got set free. They were all set free because of Juwayriya radiallahu anha. I'm not sure how many of them accepted Islam, to be honest. Some, I believe they accepted Islam after they were set free. That's the... That's what we know from the story. Allah knows best. But what happened 
after this is two very important things. Number one, Abdullah ibn Ubay. The leader of the hypocrites. Started to make trouble in Medina. So remember now there are no more tribes left in Medina from the non-Muslims. Right? There's no more tribes left. There are no more Jewish tribes left in Medina. Who is left in Medina? The hypocrites. Who are the hypocrites? They're pretending to be Muslim. They're not really Muslim. They're pretending to be Muslim. They're pretending. They're not really Muslim. And they started to make a lot of trouble. And particularly their leader, Abdullah ibn Ubayy. And they started to insult and say things about the Muslims and to cause problems for the Muslims. But you know the strangest thing? Abdullah ibn Ubayy had a son, also called Abdullah, who was a very good Muslim. And the Prophet ﷺ allowed Abdullah ibn Ubayy, the Munafiq, back into Medina. Why didn't the Prophet ﷺ kill the Munafiqeen? Exactly. So that nobody says that Muhammad kills his companions. So that nobody could have the idea or the impression that Muhammad ﷺ kills his companions. At the end of the battle of Banu Mustaliq, there was another famous thing that happened and that was a very, very difficult and terrible situation that happened with our mother Aisha radiallahu anha is that as the army was going back they had camped and Aisha had lost her necklace and she went to look for it and they didn't realize that Aisha had left, so the army left. And they left Aisha behind. And Aisha lay down on the side of the road until she was discovered by a companion called Safwan, who was there to, radiallahu anh, he was there to what was he there to do to, to catch anything that was left behind? Any, anything that was left by the army. He was like the one in the rear, bringing up the rear. When he saw Aisha radiallahu anha, he got down from his camel. He gave his camel to Aisha and he walked the camel of Aisha back into Medina. But this gave a chance for Abdullah ibn Ubay. He started to say horrible things about Aisha. He started to say things about Aisha. He started to make it out that it was a deliberate thing that she did. And he started to make the Prophet ﷺ think that she was not a good wife to him.
and that she had done a really terrible thing. And that's what they started to make the people in Medina think. And the people started to spread rumors. And you know what rumors are like? What are rumors like? When you start to spread them, they get worse and worse and worse. And it got to the point where Medina as a whole was spreading rumors. And of course, many of the Sahaba did not do that. Some One or two people got involved, but the hypocrites and Abdullah ibn Ubay they started to spread this rumor Aisha radiallahu anha when she found out she became so upset and things became so bad between her and the Prophet sallallahu she had to go back to her mom and dad's house and the Prophet didn't know what to do because now everyone is talking about his wife in a bad way and saying that she did really bad things. And Aisha, she didn't have anyone to defend her. Even her mom and dad didn't have it, the ability to speak up in her defense in that way to the Prophet ﷺ. They just remained quiet. So who is going to defend Aisha? Hmm? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The one who knows everything in the heavens and the earth. And Allah azza wa jal sent down ayat in Surah An-Nur that our mother Aisha was innocent and that this was a terrible thing that was said. And it was a lie. After this, the Muslims went for Umrah. After everything became okay, the Muslims went to Umrah. But they were a little bit worried because who is at Umrah? Where is Umrah? Makkah. Who is in Makkah? Quraysh. No doubt Quraysh were nowhere near as powerful as they were before. They were low down. But still, Quraysh were Quraysh. The Prophet set out from Medina with 1,400 people. And they started to go towards Mecca for Umrah. Quraysh had come out. They said, look, you know, they might have been weak, but we're not going to let them come into Mecca. And they tried to get support from the people around them. The Prophet asked his companions, shall we fight? Or shall we continue on to the Kaaba? Shall we fight those who are trying to stop us from going to Umrah? In the end, they decided not to attack the tribes that were helping, but just to go on towards Umrah. Khalid ibn al-Walid decided to attack the Muslims when they were praying. But Allah Azza wa gave 
revelation to the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims prayed the fear prayer. The prayer where half, half here, where one is defending and the other one is praying. So they reached a place called Hudaybiyah. And at Hudaybiyah, Quraysh came out and they wanted to have a discussion with the Prophet an agreement. And there was a back and forward between the Prophet وسلم, And this back and forward that went between the Prophet وسلم, and Quraysh. Finally, the Prophet decided to send Uthman to convince them that they've only come for Umrah. So Uthman entered Mecca with protection. And they offered Uthman the opportunity to make Umrah. Look at that. They gave Uthman the chance to make Umrah. They gave Uthman the chance. But Uthman said, no, I will not make Umrah while the Prophet is not allowed to make Umrah. And they kept Uthman for a while. Until they thought, what did the Muslims think? What do you think the Muslims thought? That they killed him. So here the Prophet took a pledge from the Muslims, a promise. And they came one by one under a tree. They came together and they promised under the tree of Ridwan that they would fight. They would stay on the battlefield and fight Quraysh until the death. And Allah revealed, لَقَدْ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ إِذْ يُبَايِعُونَكَ تَحْتَ الشَّجَرَةِ Allah was certainly pleased with the believers who made the promise under the tree. What do you think came about that promise? What happened? Quraysh got scared. <laughs> now, now it went the other way. Quraysh got scared. Quraysh got scared. Quraysh started to become scared that the Muslims are going to fight till the death. So they now sent their negotiator, Suhail ibn Amr to make peace. And this is really important because this is going to lead us to the last battle. And the peace that was decided was that there was going to be a treaty. Do you know what a treaty is? Like an agreement between two countries. An agreement between Quraysh and between the Muslims. But how are the Muslims going to agree? The Muslims are not going to agree to let Quraysh do what they want. But this treaty, what do you know about it? was very unfair. It was very hard for the Muslims in the beginning. 
They were not allowed to perform Umrah They were not allowed to perform Umrah In that year They had to go back home to Medina Without going to Without going to Umrah The Prophet ﷺ was allowed to go to Umrah the next year And stay for three days There was going to be a truce for ten years No fighting for ten years The Prophet ﷺ could choose other people to go on his side That they would also agree to join the Muslims and not fight And Quraysh could also agree for people to join their side And no one to fight Anyone from Quraysh who became Muslim Had to go where? What do you think? Back to Mecca It was very unfair They had to go back to Mecca But anyone who Turned away from the Muslims and went to Mecca Did not have to be sent back to Medina This really upset the Muslims so much And what upset them even more was After they made a promise to fight and a pledge What was now going to happen? Turn around and go back home No Umrah No fighting But the Prophet knew there was a reason for this There was a benefit and in the end, you're going to see that the end of this story and the fight and the battle, the Fath, the Fath Makkah, the conquest of Makkah and the end of Quraysh in terms of the enemy being enemies of Islam, it came about because of this treaty. The Muslims were extremely upset. They were extremely upset. They were upset that there was no... Chance for them to make Umrah And no chance for them to fight And that some people like Abu Jandal Who became Muslim Were being dragged back to Mecca Against their will Umar was especially upset He was very very upset In the end, the Muslims were so upset that they didn't want to actually leave and sacrifice their animals and shave their heads. They wanted to do it after Umrah in Mecca. They wanted to do it after Umrah in Mecca. And so the Prophet went to Umm Salama, his wife Umm Salama, radiallahu anha, and Umm Salama. She said for the Prophet ﷺ, she said that they will listen to you if you go and do it first. So the Prophet ﷺ went and he slaughtered his animal and he shaved his head. And the Muslims returned to Medina. Then something very interesting happened. You know in the, in the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, what did we say? No fighting for 10 years. And we said the Muslims have to be sent back to Mecca. So there was a new Muslim from Mecca 
called Abu Basir. And he escaped Mecca and headed to Medina. So when he went to Medina, he had to be sent back, right? He has to follow the rules. The Prophet ﷺ handed him over. But once he was outside of Medina, he killed one of the people who was taking him back to Mecca. And he left and he settled on the coast. So what happened to him? He was not in Mecca, he was not in Medina. Now all the Muslims who were not allowed to go to Medina, they all settled between Mecca and Medina. Eventually, so many people came to this little camp of Muslims that they started to attack Quraysh again. Because remember, they had no promise with Quraysh. The promise was between the Prophet and Medina. Yeah, they had no promise. So they had, and they had no promise to stick to the rules either in Mecca. Because the Prophet was, they were not in his promise. And they were not in the promise of Quraysh. So they ended up in the middle and they ended up attacking Quraysh. And in the end, do you know what Quraysh did? Do you know what Quraysh did? Quraysh actually asked the Prophet can you bring them back to Medina, please? <laughs> they said, we'll make an exception for the rules. Never mind the rules. Just take these people back to Medina. And he took them back to Medina. Now, I want you just to imagine, because this is where we're going to stop before we do our last Sira class and we're going to talk about the final, the end, and the death of the Prophet and what happened. I want you to imagine what did this do to the Muslims? What did the, the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, do you think it sounded like a good thing or a bad thing? A bad thing, right? It sounded unfair, no Umrah. Yeah? No fighting for the Muslims against Quraysh. The Muslim people had to be, who came from Mecca, had to be sent back. The, others, the opposite was not true. But what did it really do? What did Hudaybiyah really do? In reality, what, what did Hudaybiyah do for the Muslims? What do you think? What do you think? It freed the Muslims up because your number one enemy is now out of the picture. Your number one enemy is not there anymore. Goodbye. See you later. No fighting. And the Muslims just started to get busy with da'wah. They started to get busy with strengthening themselves. They started to take care of becoming stronger and they became larger by the permission of Allah. And many, many, many good things happened to the Muslims in this time. So what do you think the lesson from that story is? What do you think the lesson is from Hudaybiyah? What happened at Hudaybiyah? Don't judge a book by its cover, okay. What else? 
I only have one person here to ask, so it's like I'm asking just one person. Uh, sometimes you think something is bad for you, but actually Allah puts a lot of good in it. It did seem to be bad for the Muslims, but actually it turned out to be very, very good for the Muslims. And actually all those captives in Mecca got sent back to Medina because Quraysh even asked them and Quraysh said, please take them back. Don't leave them here anymore. Please take them back to Medina. And the Muslims were able, and the Prophet ﷺ, he was able to send out messages to the kings of the different regions to invite them to Islam. Many, many, many people became Muslim. There was the battle of Khaybar, Fat Khaybar, that happened. And in this, the Muslims were, this is in the seventh year after the Hijrah, in which the uh, and in which the Muslims attacked or were able to conquer Khaybar. They were able to conquer Khaybar. And the Prophet ﷺ sent letters to the different kings. He sent a letter to the... And I'll tell you briefly about it, because it's worth telling you about. I'll tell you about the letter to the king of Persia and the letter to the king of Rome. The king of Persia ripped it up. Kisra. When he took the letter and he saw that the Prophet Muhammad wrote his own name, obviously he told the scribe to write it. Before the name of Kisra, Kisra took his letter and ripped it up. He ripped it up. The Prophet when he heard of this, he said, he ripped up the letter, may Allah rip up his kingdom. And it was soon after that Kisra's own son assassinated him and the Persian empire broke up into little pieces. Because the Prophet said, he ripped up the letter, may Allah rip up his kingdom. And Allah accepted it and the Persian kingdom became small and weak. The one who delivered the message was amazing. He was Abdullah ibn Hudhafa al-Sahmi. Abdullah ibn Hudhafa al-Sahmi. They said when he delivered the message, Kisra had silk carpets and curtains and cushions. And he came with his stick and he put a hole all the way down it like that. He just came with his stick. And he gave the letter from the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. It's a very nice story, but I'll tell you about it next time. The Prophet also wrote to the king of Rome, Heraclius. When we say Rome here, it doesn't mean Rome. It means the Byzantines, and what is now Greece, that sort of area. 
uh, because there was an Eastern Roman Empire and a Western Roman Empire. It was the Eastern Roman Empire, what we now know as Greece and that sort of area. And who turned up to talk to Heraclius? Abu Sufyan. <laughs> yeah, anhu. He still wasn't a Muslim at that time. At that time, Khalid ibn Walid became Muslim. Khalid ibn Walid became Muslim during that time. But Abu Sufyan was still not a Muslim at that time. And Heraclius had this amazing conversation with Abu Sufyan. About the Prophet Muhammad's life. Now is Abu Sufyan an enemy or a friend? Enemy. So Heraclius brought him and he said, Sit your friends behind you. And he said to his friends and his companions, If he tells a lie, let me know about it. So Abu Sufyan had said, I was planning on saying something, I was planning on, you know, saying something bad, but then when I saw the people behind me, you know, he realized he had to tell the truth. So Heraclius said, tell me about the family of the Prophet. So I said, Abu Sufyan said, he comes from the best family. Heraclius said, did anyone before him say what he said, that he's a prophet? Abu Sufyan said, no. Heraclius said, have there been any kings? Is he from a family of kings? He said, no. Heraclius said, who are his followers? Abu Sufyan said, they're the poor and the weak people. Heraclius said, of the numbers going up or going down? Abu Sufyan said, the numbers are going up. Heraclius said, do the people who enter this religion hate it and leave it? Abu Sufyan said, no. Heraclius said, did you find he lied before? Abu Sufyan said, no. Heraclius said, has he ever broken his promise? Abu Sufyan said, no. Heraclius said, have you fought a battle with him? Abu Sufyan said, yes, many. He said, how was it? Abu Sufyan said, sometimes we won, sometimes he won. Heraclius said, what does he teach? Abu Sufyan says, to worship one God and not make any partner with him and to give up what our fathers used to worship and to pray, to be truthful and pious and kind to the, our relatives, good to our relatives. Heraclius went through all of this until his heart started to go towards Islam. Heraclius got all of his chiefs and his rulers together and he, he said, all my people, you need to follow this prophet. And all the people ran away from him. They started, to, they started just to get out. They started to make noise and shout at him. And they turned their back on him and they tried to leave. He said, wait, 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 wait. I was only joking. And in the end, he didn't die. As a Muslim, he knew the truth of Islam, but he couldn't give up his position where he was. He wanted to become a Muslim and he wanted all of the Roman Empire, the, the Eastern Roman Empire, the Byzantine Empire. He wanted them to become Muslim. But in the end, 
they didn't accept Islam. But Abu Sufyan it had a big effect on Abu Sufyan. A big effect. A very big effect. And the Abu Sufyan said, if even the Roman king is starting to show interest in Islam, we're finished. Quraysh has, you know, this is, these are the big empire. This is getting out of hand. And he was, he started to become Abu Sufyan more and more towards accepting Islam, radiallahu, radiallahu an. As we said, the Muslims conquered Khaybar. The Prophet ﷺ went out to Khaybar and he was able to and he gave the, the flag to Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu And Ali was able to kill one of their big warriors. As was Zubair, able to kill one of their big warriors. And the Muslims were able to capture the fortress. And the Muslims finally attacked one of their other fortresses. And finally, all of the fortresses fell. All of the fortresses fell. And one by one by one, the Muslims went from fortress to fortress and area to area until they had captured the whole of Khaybar. At this point, what happened? The emigrants from Al Habasha came back. Yeah, there were still people there. There were still people there. And this is where we're going to stop. Right here. And the reason we're going to stop is that the next thing that's going to happen is going to be the beginning of the end. The beginning of the conquest of Makkah and the death of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And that's what we're going to cover next week, the final and last part, I'm sure, of the Seerah class, inshallah, the conquest of Makkah and the death of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. I would ask if we have questions, but since we don't have anybody here, there's nobody to ask if we have any questions. Do you have any questions? Does anyone that you're talking to on your messaging have any questions? No? That's what Allah made easy for me to mention and Allah knows best. I do apologize if you are having any issues with the live stream today. We had some problems, took us a while to get over them. We had some issues with the stream. But inshallah ta'ala we will try to fix it for next time. That's what Allah made easy for me to mention and Allah knows best. Wassalatu wassalam ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.